you're here tonight uh, for reasons that you know, but I know that the enemy uses the things that we'll be talking about, stress, anxiety, depression, panic, uh, fear, uh, these things uh, the enemy uses to pe- put people in bondage. I'm sure you've experienced some of these things. Uh, and they're connected to each other as well. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, listen to this verse. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Did you know that anxiety and depression are very connected to each other? Depression can cause anxiety. Anxiety can cause depression. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. But it says this. It says, perfect love cast out fear. Also in Proverbs, it says in the 18, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 14, it said, The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The thought life, the soul that feels empty, the, the spirit life that is drained or is anxious or is fearful, uh, is as real as a broken leg. Just as real as an actual you know, malady that you might be experiencing. And, of course, those things contribute to stress, and they contribute to anxiety, and they contribute to fear. We'll look at these things uh, from the, uh, the Scripture's perspective tonight. But I came across this verse, and I hadn't read it in a long time, and the Lord reminded me of it in Romans. We understand that stress and fear and anxiety, all those things exist. Uh, I'm not even here to tell you what they feel like or look like because you already know what they feel like and look like. I don't have to give you a ton of statistics tonight. You already know the statistics. Uh, If you don't know them specifically, you know enough to know that a lot of people are struggling with these things. A lot of people are having prescription drugs. A lot of people are trying to find ways of escape. Just today we saw on the news that Prince died of an opiate overdose. We know that money and fame doesn't give you peace in the mind. We know it doesn't give you deliverance from fear. We know it doesn't give you deliverance from sadness or unrest or insomnia or whatever else that maybe he was experiencing. But usually when people take drug overdoses, they are trying to escape. With the only place they can't escape is their own mind, right? Ernest Hemingway wrote all those books, but he put a shotgun to his mouth. The great life of adventure. You see all the things that uh, the famous people, but God wants to deliver the body of He wants to deliver the body of Christ from these things. We will not have living water. We have the living water, but we will be tentative in giving it because we really are gun shy. I think well, I don't really want to share it because I I'm struggling with all these things. So God really wants to help us in that area. In Romans 14, this is the verse. Um, In verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Actually, the 18th verse is a good connecting verse, too. It says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. Notice that um, it says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. What is Paul writing here? He's saying that the life of in Christ, is not 
focused on the outward temporal material things. The world tries to find comfort in the food network, in the hajandas, in the new car, right? In just people get a high from buying new things. That's why they'll run up credit card debt because they actually feel some level of security or safety. Or, and notice that what Paul says, he says, but the kingdom of God is righteousness first, then peace, then joy. Notice the progression. Righteousness first, then comes peace, then comes joy. If you never seek righteousness, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. If we seek righteousness first, God will then impart peace and joy into our life and will become less and less and less and less. Tonight is not an overnight fix. If you're looking for that, you might want to leave. But if you're looking for really what the Lord wants to give all of us uh, to break chains, then I hope you stay and you're in the right place. Um, let's open up in prayer. And then we'll take a look at some things together. Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've given us the words of eternal life, but you've also given us the words, Lord, to walk in this life. And Lord, I'm thankful for each and every person that is here. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak mightily strength and encouragement to each and every person. Each heart, Lord, would be touched and drawn nearer to you, that there would be chains broken, even starting tonight. And there would be peace that's poured out. There would be the joy and the peace of the Lord Jesus poured into hearts. The Lord, would we collectively submit and surrender to the will of God, seeking your righteousness, Lord, for that is where the safety and security of all that you promise in the abundant life is when we just follow what you've asked us to do. And Lord, it's easier said than done, so we pray that you would help us to see these steps start to remind us starting tonight into tomorrow and the coming weeks. We pray you'd bless this time, use it far beyond anything that I could present, Lord, for these are your words. We pray, Jesus, that your spirit now is ministering and already preparing what you're going to do for each person. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me read this from um, Pastor Steve Mays. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord last year. And I think that when I read this, it'll resonate with what you see around you. This is what he writes. This book is called Overwhelmed by God, Not by Your Troubles. Overwhelmed by God, Not by Your Troubles. He said, in society today, everyone seems overwhelmed. For a multitude of reasons, our relationships are often tense, which makes for feelings of being overwhelmed emotionally. The economics of our day is a, gives, uh, results in a pervading sense of being overwhelmed financially. Unemployment or underemployment, bills stacking up with not enough money in the bank to pay them, the list goes on. Personal problems, such as the battle to diet and get our weight down to be healthy, and then, when every, uh, and then around every corner, we have something wrong with us physically. We can be so overwhelmed. So what do we do? 
How can we not be overwhelmed with so much on our plates and so many negative things surrounding us? In the book of Psalms, David talks about being overwhelmed for a long period. He was running from Saul. He says in Psalm 55, 5, faithfulness, I mean fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. Let me read that again. This is what David wrote. King David, mighty man, man after God's own heart. It also tells me another thing. In some sense, every person that attends this church should be here tonight. Because I'm pretty sure if David got fearful, everyone else does too. So, may God bless you being here. Because trust me, there's people that want to be here, but they still want to be strong. And they're going to struggle longer until God gets their attention. He says, this is what David says, Fear fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. That's a pretty terrible way to feel. David knows he's been running for his life. He senses that any moment he could die. Fear has gripped his heart because Saul is right around the corner and there's no place for David to go. He has no friends. He has no food. He has no sense of security. He's overwhelmed. Psalm 61.2, however, communicates a different emotional state. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. As a believer today, you might demonstrate a similar shift in prayer that goes something like this. God, you have to lead me to the rock. I've lost it. I can't seem to find it. I don't remember where it is. I know it's big. I know it's strong. I know Jesus is the answer. But God, I'm struggling. Would you lead me back? Steve Mays. He went to be home with the Lord. He went in for a routine surgery last year. Calvary Chapel, South Bay, and he never came out. God took him home. This was the last book he wrote, and I really believe he wrote it for such a time as this. Uh, so many people struggling with these things. For me tonight, um, as I mentioned, and I'm, I'm privileged and glad to be able to uh, do this. We've never done this workshop before. I've already had people say, I can't be there tonight. Can we do another one later this summer? I'm glad we'll gladly do another and maybe some other areas, but also uh, review for folks that didn't get a chance to come. But uh, in my life personally, so the Lord, if I look at the journey of the last um, 15 years of my life, uh, once I got into having to provide for a wife and children, I started to experience what stress feels like. When I was younger, I never really felt stress. You know, when you're young, you kind of boldly attack everything. You've heard my story of how I went skiing the first day. Oh, I don't need lessons and all that stuff. Just kind of just take everything on. No stress. But when you start to have to provide for other people, and you really do have to put food on the table, and you really have deadlines, and you have companies that you either, I was still in the business world, this either gets done right or you may not be employed here next year. And you've got metrics, and you've got reviews, and you've got all kinds of things, and you start to feel stress. And you, uh, you said, when did I need acid medicine? Right? When did food not digest correctly anymore? And all these things start to come. But that's just the beginning. See, that's just, that's stress. That just starts to elevate your blood pressure and tension and all these different things. But, 
But it can get worse than that. And you can start to have anxiety, right? Anxiety can come on you. And even you know, fear, I experienced um, my, my first ever panic attack was with a medical procedure. And you don't know when you're going to experience something like that. I don't know if anyone's ever, I hope you never have one. If you have, um, God wants to take you through those things. But I, I'd never experienced something like that before. And although I personally have never really battled depression, some of you probably do. And I know plenty of people that have. I had a coworker a uh, year after I'd left Microsoft. His wife took her life, jumped three floors to her death. He never realized, I mean, he knew she was in a lot of pain, but just how much pain he didn't really realize. Because people are gripped, and a lot of people are in a lot worse shape than they would ever lead on to be. And they would have you believe that everything is perfect. Understand in the house of God, this is not a place where everybody's got it together. It's a place where we are coming together and being healed together, but not necessarily got it all together. You can love God. Uh, there's some really godly people, really godly people that struggle or have come through some struggles. And still, even when you've come through struggles, you will still have fiery darts of anxiety. You'll still have fiery darts of, of fear. You'll have fiery darts of panic. You'll have fiery darts of depression. They will not dissipate overnight. But what we're going to talk about tonight is a journey of God saying, little by little, these things are going to fall off. One piece at a time. And that's what I believe God wants to do. Uh, because God doesn't solve everything immediately for us. Or we tend to run right back and do whatever we want. So he's going to take. But you're going to start to see victory. If you follow the things that God has given us. I really believe without, a que without question. You'll see victory. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 91. This passage has ministered to me. If you need a passage, it's just say you're, you're feeling really overwhelmed. Just turn everything else off, go find a quiet, and just read Psalm 91 a lot. It's not the only passage. It's just you have to have God give you passages for you. I love passages in Isaiah 38, 39, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 41, 42, 43. Um, there's many passages in the Scriptures that God has given me. Uh, if you don't highlight and mark in your Bible, dates start doing it. Start writing in your Bible when God gave you relief from something or when you were really struggling in your mind, and you need to start writing in your Bible because this becomes a de facto journal. Uh, I actually do journal, but I also write in my Bible because I carry my Bible places that I don't carry my journal. And when God, uh, when I need a word from God, a lot of times it's amazing. I'll turn to a date and it matches up with another date and God says the same promise I gave you three months ago is still there today. So you're going you're gonna to want a date. I have all kinds of dates and writings in mind. Um, but as I, look at, as I look at this text and we read it, a lot of, um, a lot of my anxieties and things in my life came you know, just through, through the travail of life, and really trying to sometimes carry it with my own shoulders. 
You ever do that? Just try and carry it with your own shoulders? But then you'll also get real attacks from the enemy, and we'll talk about that and how we decipher which is which. Those things come too. And actually, the more you serve the Lord, the more you'll have true enemy targets as opposed to uh, just really kind of sabotaging ourselves. But in Psalm 91, listen to what uh, David writes here. He who dwells in the secret place the Most High, verse 1, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You want to be there? The secret place, Lord, under his shadow. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the perilous pestilence. You're not going to be caged. You're not going to be left to die because of some pestilence or disease. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Remember, Jesus said that in Matthew 23 to Jerusalem. He said, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. God says he will cover you with his feathers. Another message I'm going to do later this year is what I've learned from the birds because there's so many types of birds in the Bible and things God has shown me, but that's another topic for another day. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. His truth. Notice that truth is imperative. This goes back to righteousness. Truth is imperative for a shield. If you do not dwell on truth, you have no protection for the mind. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. When truth begins to be a wall around you, you can actually quench the darts of fear. Nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Notice it doesn't matter if it's day, night, middle of the day. Things can come against you at any time of the day, right? Bad news, pressure situation, a moment of fear, panic, or, or maybe despair and depression that you have a thought. This verse has been, God has given me this verse, I don't know how many times a month of May alone. A thousand may fall at your right side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. God has told me again and again, I've got you. I'm going to keep you. You know, my, my, my security is not in my wife, not in my house. It's not in whether you give tithes and offerings. It's none of that stuff. My security, God, and so should be yours. And he'll, he'll give you these things and say, hey, I've got things for you to do, so don't worry. You're not going to fall and collapse. Because we can sit, worry should be up there because that's just a form of, another form of these things. But people worry nonstop. Jesus said you can't add any stature to your height. Trust that God has you. Verse 8, only with your eyes look and you shall see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you. Isn't that great to know? Well, I've prayed at times, Lord, I need angels to come. And I know for certain, though I couldn't see, I know that angels have ministered I've prayed it. If it's in the Bible, you can go ahead and pray it. To keep you in all your ways in their hands, lest, um, lest they bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You know, angels came and ministered to Jesus. Now, we won't see them. I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit, send an angel or two. 
You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. Guess who that is? Satan's the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he's the serpent. You actually, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, he goes, you're going to soon crush Satan underfoot. You need to be told that you, if you walk in these ways, can actually walk right over top of Satan. So can I. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot because he has set his, ah, here it is, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me. See, no, this is not God setting his love on us. This is us setting our love on him. Notice the, the capital M-E is God. Because he has set his love on me, this is Jesus saying, if you set your love on me, therefore I will deliver him, lowercase, that's us. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Do you know the name of Jesus? I mean, really know the name of Jesus? If you set your love on Jesus, he is saying right here, because you've set your love on me, I'll deliver you and you've known my name. There's a song that goes, there's power in the name of Jesus, right? There's peace in the name of Jesus. If you set your love on him, if you choose to say, say, Lord, I'm going to start setting my love on you above everything else. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. This is the promise to only believers. If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, you're here tonight and you say, I don't even know what that means. I'm glad to stay and talk with you. Sunday I'm doing a message called, What is Salvation? This passage of Psalm 91 was given to those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord. David would apply. Paul would apply. Anyone that's born again. It applies to you and me. If we've given our lives to the Lord, we have these promises. He shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God will give us these things. But it goes back to verse 14. Have we set our love upon him? He's already set his love on us. He did that at the cross. He did that at the resurrection. Now the question is, will we set our love on him? He's already set his love on us. The proverbial ball is in our court. Does that make sense? He's already set his love on us. His banner over us is already love. The question is, will we now love back in response to what he's already done for us? And that's what we want to look at tonight. We want to start with his love for us. There's a few passages up here. First one, Psalm 107. Whoever is wise, this is us taking the instruction, Lord. He gives us instruction. Whoever is wise, observe these things. They will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. If we're wise, we won't make excuses. We won't bemoan to say, God, why do you, why do you do it this way? Why do you allow these things to happen? You're all in a great position. God's, given, God's allowed enough, enough discomfort to let you know you need more of him. That's a good thing. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come to accept to steal, kill, and destroy. The world thinks that life is eating and drinking, but they are being killed and destroyed in the process. Prince would be a good example of this, as I mentioned earlier. He tried to find peace and fame and popularity. And even when he couldn't find peace, maybe drugs will be an escape. And he's not the first one. Kurt Cobain, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, the list goes on and on. But they're just types for the rest of us to see that that's what the enemy does. But 
I have come that they might have life. This is Jesus speaking. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what God's desire for us is. Amen? To have life more abundantly. Jeremiah 31.3, I love this verse. I quote it to myself a lot. If you come here, you know, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. The Lord drew you here tonight. I did not draw you here. I don't have anything that could draw you here, but God drew you here. Because what you see on the screen is not my words. That, long after this world is gone and burned up and destroyed, those words will still be in heaven. Those words. If you're going to join the rest of the body of Christ heaven, you're going to see these words for all eternity. We'll rejoice in them. That's his love for us, just a reminder. There's also his help. The help we need, it's only his help. In 2 Chronicles 16, 13, I had forgotten about this verse, but the Lord reminded me as I was preparing. King Asa, he got sick. The, the malady, it says he became diseased in his feet, and um, the malady was severe. But notice what he did that was a mistake. Asa was a godly man. Asa was a godly king. He did many reforms that brought true worship back. But it says, yet in his sickness, he did not seek the Lord, but physicians. Sound familiar? In the body of Christ... By the way, God still may use physicians, whether you need foot surgery. Neck, I had a neck fusion. This is not, understand, this is not to say that you will never need surgery. You will never need a doctor. Uh, you might need a triple bypass someday, all those things. All fine. But that's not where you start. Make sense? Asa, had he gone to God first, would not have needed the physicians. Many Christians, God wants to heal right now without any of your doctor's help, without Prozac, without anything else. He wants to heal you without a physician, without a psychiatrist, without any of that stuff, and certainly without a bottle of wine every night, right? Because in some communities or parts of the world, Russia, other places, the liquor store is the physician. But whatever it is... Asa, he got really sick, and instead of calling the priest, instead of calling the prophet, said, pray with me that God would heal me, he immediately called for physicians. And God says, all right, you've had a good life, but that's where it ends. And he does that. Why do he do that with Asa? It's really something for us, for us to remember. If God wants to use a physician, great, but start first by following what he wants you to do first. In Psalm 121, 2, my help comes from where? The Lord. The maker of what? Heaven and earth. He doesn't need Pfizer. He doesn't need Glaxo, Smith, Wellcline, you know. It's really even hard to watch TV now because every third commercial, matter of fact, if I think about TV, especially if it's certain programming, either car commercials, beer commercials, or drug commercials. Literally. I mean, I don't even know how many. Ask your doctor. Side effects may include, you know, all this stuff. And then they got these fake actors and all this stuff. And our help should come from the Lord. I'm not saying, again, I just had to get immunizations to go to Guatemala. But I had to pray over those things even first, too. God had to give us wisdom as a team. We prayed over what do we take, what do we not take. 
Seek God first, then proceed with what's needed. And lastly, Hebrews 13, 6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I shall not fear. He wants to cast out fear. Well, first we want to take a look at it. I wanted the scripture to be our anchor, our touchstone, and understand that everything we're going to look at comes from this uh, viewpoint of God has already written the manual for us to be delivered. Are we willing to follow it? He's already written the manual. Will we follow it? Sources of stress we want to look at first. This is not an exhaustive list, but I put 10 things that we can talk about together that are sources of either stress, fear, anxiety, panic, depression, despair, all of these things. And it may not be the list you're thinking of, but we want to look at it honestly through Scripture, what God has to say about where the source of these things are. Because if you go to an unsaved psychiatrist, they might give you a list that looks different than this. Pretty sure it will look different than this. You won't have anything to do with why you're having what you're having. It'll, all, it'll be someone else, it'll be everyone else's fault but ours. And I'm speaking to myself here too, because again, I've struggled with some of these things over, over time. And the first one is sin in our life. Not a fun place to start, but it's where we have to start. What kind of sin are we talking about? Well, one of the big ones is unbelief. You have a Bible. Do you believe what God says? Are we going to start to believe what God says? The sin of unbelief in, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, those that are cast into the lake of fire, one of the first things it says, and those with unbelief. Remember Jesus around the road to Emmaus, if you're here with us Sunday, what's the first thing he said to Cleopas and the other man? He said, oh, foolish ones not to believe. The first rebuke he had to two men who loved him and were mourning his loss, and he still loved them, and Jesus would still rebuke you and I in love and say, you foolish one not to believe. And Jesus loves me enough to put his arm, and if he, he's allowed to put his arm around me and say, call me foolish. I'm not allowed to call people foolish or fools. Christ is. And so sin in our life, unbelief, laziness, refusal and rebellion, refusing and rebelling against what God is saying. How about a lust for the world? If you lust for the world, your mind will never be at rest. Lust for the world. Pride. Again, some people should be here tonight, but they don't want anyone to think they struggle with anything. So they're not here. pride. How about unforgiveness? By the way, unforgiveness just tears you up. Generally doesn't tear the other person up, especially if they're not even saved. They can, couldn't care less. They, they might have the mentality of, I don't get mad, I get even, right? So your unforgiveness is really tearing yourself up and any number of unconfessed sins, things that God is asking you to do that you just are, are uh, hemming and hawing and but understand that sin poisons our minds, and it leaves an empty door for Satan to come in nonstop. Sin. Nonstop. He's the accuser of the brethren. Even when you're not in sin, Satan will still try and accuse you. But when you really are in sin, then there's no relationship with God. The prayers are cut off. Peter emphasized this in 2 Peter 2.11. He said, Beloved, 
I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the what? Soul. Peter says, if you have unconfessed sin and you have sin in your life, then it's warring against your soul. And by the way, you can't touch, taste, or feel a soul, can you? But how is it that the soul still is burdened? The soul feels, feels things, doesn't it? Because the soul is attached to the mind and the heart, right? He says it wars against your soul. So he says, brethren, you've got to abstain, abstain from sin. Keep away from it. If there's someone in here and, you know, they have unconfessed sin and uh, they've, or they've got just, they will not forgive somebody, will not forgive, they're warring against their own soul. There's someone here in, their, in pornography, they're warring against their own soul. Why would we want to be at war with ourselves? The whole reason we're here is not to be at war with ourselves, right? That's part of anxiety and fear. We feel like we're at war with ourselves. Well, sin is a big problem, and that's the first one on the list. The soul and the heart and the mind are connected. So we've, got to, we've just got to lay, lay it down at the altar. You know, when God gave Moses the, the Ark of the Covenant, remember he told Moses to meet him at the mercy seat. No matter what sin we have, God will forgive us even tonight. Isn't that great to know? Not next week. Not next year. He'll cover it right now and say, you're set free. You don't have to be in bondage to this. Your mind doesn't have to be unrest because you feel the guilt and shame and the open door of Satan just constantly coming in and actually enticing more and more. So there can't be peace for the believer. Now, an unbeliever can actually be dulled to this, and they can go, and that's how people can commit mass crimes and murders and all this stuff and not have any conscience. Well, their conscience has been seared. But our conscience is not seared, which is why we can't actually have sin and have peace at the same time. If you can't have sin and peace at the same time, congratulations, that's a good sign. But you won't have peace until it's resolved. The second one, no spiritual growth. And discipline, I'm speaking of spiritual discipline. What does this mean? Again, if this is not resident in our life, we will not be able to overcome fear, anxiety, stress, depression. There's, none of these things are negotiable. There's, there's deliverance, but we have to do it God's way. You cannot, no matter how much you think it might work. You cannot put Kool-Aid in your gas tank and expect your car to run. Even if it was the same color. I don't know if they make a Kool-Aid that color, but you know what I mean. What does this mean? No spiritual discipline or growth. Well, there's no, no daily commitment to prayer. There's no spending time in God's Word. And there's no waiting to be filled by the Holy Spirit. If that is not something that you are making time for, you'll be on a treadmill. Jesus went early and constantly to go be alone with the Father. <laughs> now, if Jesus needed this, what does this tell us about us? Well, uh, Jesus may have needed that prayer time, but I don't. He actually didn't need it, in a sense. He set it as a model and example for us. He was always in communion with the Father. But he was showing us that when we pray, our Father Art in heaven, hallowed be. Jesus didn't ever have to say, and forgive me of my trespasses. That prayer was for us to pray, not for him to pray. He didn't have any sin. But he taught us by going early in the morning with the Father and spending time being refreshed, 
that we would need this. Job wrote in Job 23.12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So we have to have spiritual growth. We have to have that growth. We have to say, Lord, I'm committing to being in prayer, being in your word, and waiting on your Holy Spirit to fill me. Another one, number three, self-reliant. What does that mean? See, God will allow us, and I'm thinking of all of us in this room, God will allow us to be overwhelmed on purpose. God will allow you and I to be overwhelmed because oftentimes for far too long, we've been content with where we're at spiritually, and God's not content with where we're at spiritually. And we're content to live our lives in our own strength and according to our own plan, and God's not content with us living according to our strength and our own plan. Jesus did not live his life according to his own plan. He said he lived it according to what? The will of the Father. He didn't live it according to his own strength. If he did, he could have come right off the cross. He lived it down in the strength, or he came as a man, but lived it in the strength of the Spirit. So self-reliance is a big problem. Uh, Some people are more naturally self-reliant than others, but God wants to wring self-reliance out of us. And so he will allow. Say, all right, Mr. and Mrs. Self-Reliant, go right ahead. Take on the world. And then we're a bundle of nerves or fear or anxious or stressed or depressed or whatever it may be. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not the only thing, but these are things that I have seen uh, over time in the lives of others in my own walk with Christ and in the scriptures, of course. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, he who abides in me, abides in me. You got to like hang out with Jesus. How many like hanging out with your spouse? So if you didn't hang out with them for the next three weeks, they wouldn't think anything weird, right? No, you abide with them because you have a love relationship with them. So we abide in him, and I in him, if he abides in me and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We still think we can do a lot of things without God. I'm guilty of it as well. I, I love, I was reading, I can't remember which psalm I was reading. Uh, it, uh, it's... Go back to it. I could find it. I think it's 70 something. But um, the psalmist writes, I am more stupid than any other man. And God let him put it in there. I am more stupid than any other man. We, we're okay to pray that stuff where God says, Hey, but I'll take the stupid out of you. Stop being self reliant. Stop being. St- Remember, children, children of Israel, God called them stiff necked. They all, he called them stiff neck. Just constantly, no, this will work. I know it will work. Well, it hasn't worked for 15 years, but I know it will now. Right? Stiff necked, self reliant. God wants to take self reliance out of us. Next one, busyness. Big problem today. The Wall Street Journal had a great article a few years ago, and they, and they were an unsafe writer, an unsafe author, and he was. Uh, just observing the busyness of Americans, and he did a lot of interviews and found out that uh, almost everything that people were busy with had no significant importance at all. This was his assessment. 
busyness. We live in a to and from day. And what do I mean by this? Well, unimportant busyness. There is a busyness that Jesus said, when I come back, I want to find you busy about my business, he said. That busyness is, that burden is light and that yoke is easy. This busyness that we're seeing today, that we see in our own life, can best be defined as wrong priorities, majorly wrong priorities in life. It's called our agenda instead of God's agenda. It's taking on a host of self-imposed activities and responsibilities that have no eternal value, and they actually drain the soul. But we keep feeding that fire thinking that those things that actually, and some people think they need to add another activity to fix it on top of all the other activities. And you see minivans, you know, shooting around, practice, over to here, next place, next place, midnight, you know, busyness. God wrote to the prophet Haggai in Haggai verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Listen to this. Doesn't this sound like today? You've sown much and bring in little. You eat but don't have enough. You drink and you're not filled with your drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God says, I am letting you chase your tail on purpose. That's what he wrote in Haggai. He said, you are doing all of this stuff. And your money's going straight out. You drink and you still get no satisfaction of it. You do all this stuff and you do all this stuff and you do all this stuff and you sow and you work and you play and you try and make yourself happy. And God says, how's it working? Because Israel was miserable. And yet they were trying their best through busyness to find the source of peace that never, they would never find. The next one's not, not really a choice. It's just what we're born with. That's called human weakness. Welcome to the club, right? This is just who we are. We're not all that strong. If you think you are, go try and take on a lion with your bare hands. Right? We're not that strong. And the aging process can start to really work on our mind. Some of you that are older than me can look back and say, yeah, I, I can see that. There is something to this whole midlife crisis thing. People really do start to they start to see their body not be able to do it, and they, and they start to have kind of an equilibrium, uh, if, they, if you will. Man, what's going on? I used to be able to do this. I can't now. And you start to be afraid of things you weren't afraid of before. Well, last time I rode a roller coaster, no problem. This time I felt like I was going to throw up. What's happening, right? <laughs> when did I start getting motion sickness or all these things, right? The aging process, seeing our bodies and our minds fade, can cause a backdrop of fear and a backdrop of anxiety that's kind of subtle. It's beneath the surface. You don't even know it's actually building up. But it is building up because your mortality is setting in. I was just talking to uh, the gentleman that painted our, all, all the paint here, professional painter that we contract. He's a Christian. I was talking to him, ran into him at, at the Home Depot, and we were talking, actually at Lowe's, actually. Uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, it's really cool. We've seen five baby boomers come to Christ in our church since January, he goes, you know, he goes, I have a number of friends. He's in his 60s. He used to be like a honky-tonk bar, uh, you know, bar kind of guy, getting into 
you know, all kinds of bad stuff there. But he got saved, and he couldn't convince any of his friends years ago in the 60s, in his 20s or whatever, to come to Christ. But he said now, he goes, one by one, several of them have been coming Christ because their bodies are breaking down. And when the body starts to break down, people start to have new anxieties and fears they've never had before. Why is that? Well, it is true that ignorance, in a sense, is bliss. When you're young and you don't know anything, you're not afraid of anything because you don't know anything. But then when you start to actually know what things are about, you actually say, well, that, that meter reading means that I could be in serious trouble. Whereas before, you would just blow it off. And this backdrop of fear and anxiety starts to be there. James says it this way in James 4.14. He says, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanisheth away. See, God wants to remind us that we really are. Life is short. Life is fragile. But we have to focus on that righteousness first, then peace, then joy. If you focus on the body and focus on the life, well, that's the eating and drinking. Oh, I know what I need to do. Eight million vitamins will fix this. It generally won't. Now, if we get to it tonight, there are practical things that I'm going to talk about. You say, is this 100% script? No, I'm going to give you some practical things if we get to it tonight. I don't know. But they're only beneficial if we've done the spiritual first. That's why I can't lead with them. That's exi- if I led with those, that's, you would just go to the local herbalist or you'd go to the local psychiatrist or your local doctor. They'll lead with only the things that are eating, drinking, physical. They'll go join the gym. Right? Maybe that'll, maybe that'll fix you. Buy a new car and get a convertible. That'll help you, right? But it won't. Human weakness is still in the backdrop. And as we get older, it starts to show itself even more. The next one, fatigue. Anyone ever feel tired? Just worn out? This is how Jesus knew that his ministry was going to explode. The world's never seen a ministry like Jesus. Because no one in the history of the world understood the weakness and fatigue of man like Jesus did. It's why he, with a loud voice, cries, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He knew that that message would speak to the masses of the Roman Empire. The people were weary. It's been well said, fatigue makes cowards of us all, right? Tired. You know what I love about the 23rd Psalm? I've mentioned it before, but some of you are new, or I have mentioned it a long time. I love at the beginning of the 23rd Psalm, it says, He makes us to lie down. We're not smart enough to lie down sometimes. God is saying, lay down. I got more to do, God. Lay down. I, wanna, I don't want to miss this show. It, now it cuts off at midnight. I've done it too. So have you. You're dog tired and you start watching something on TNT that you've watched 8 million times. And it draws you in. And it says, he maketh us to lie down. He makes us lie down. He, you know, we, when we were younger, in kindergarten, the teachers made you take a nap. You swore you weren't tired. <laughs> right? So fatigue. You'll actually not be fatigued coming to something like this night. You'll actually go home with a little spiritual energy boost. You'll actually get a vitamin B12 shot from God, if you will. 
But if you actually were staying at home on the couch, nothing is actually worse for us at all than laying on the couch while eating and laying and watching TV. All the studies have shown this. And yet we all do it because we're tired and we think that that's going to make us feel rested and it actually doesn't. And some people end up... It was actually helpful when it... You, you know that the TV companies, they used to help us when it went to that multicolor screen around midnight. At least it would shut off and you'd have to go to bed. You know, everything ended. There was only like four channels, UHF, VHF. You younger kids. Yeah, some of the young kids, I don't know what to talk about. We had the pliers and everything and that, you know. But fatigue. Fatigue is a problem. And don't forget, I want you to remember that, 23rd Psalm. We might love the 23rd Psalm, but he makes us to lie down. When you're feeling fatigued, say, Jesus, where and when do you want me to lie down? Just ask him. You have a relationship with him. Where and when do you want me to lie down? He might say, not yet. I want you to go serve this person, but then after that, I want you to go straight to rest. You have to be listening. Fatigue. The next one. Times of, this is ones that we have no control over at all. I mean, in some sense, we, have, we don't have much control over anything, but we can decide not to be busy. We can decide to pray and confess sin. But there are things that will happen in your life, times of intense pain, tragedy, sadness, defeat, fear. I ha- I've lost two sisters, Montel, my brother, my mom, many of you know my mom, Jan, lost two daughters. I don't know how my parents ever dealt with it. And some of you have lost a child in this room, and you know what that's like. There's nothing you can do to avoid things like that. One of my sisters died of cancer. The other one was murdered by her boyfriend. It was incredibly hard on our family. And that was only in 2011. Now, other things will happen. I, you know, I, for me, I went nine months with so much pain. My doctor, when I finally had my neck fusion, my doctor said to my wife, I have no idea how your husband continued to work, preach, do another uh, full-time job. And I, I knew it was God had sustained me. I was not, you know, I was trying everything. And finally, they've, I had bone fragments and uh, and those were actually some medical procedures that actually gave me my first ever, thank you very much, panic attacks and things that I've never had before. But God allows these things for a reason. Do you, do you believe that? God allows everything for a reason in your life. And someday he knew I'd have to preach and I'd have to help other people. And he said, you're going to have to walk through some things just so you can help other people. Uh, Jesus became acquainted with our sorrows so he could minister to our sorrows. Do you understand that? And so God's allowed things to happen in your life. When I go into Bonaire and the kids look at me and they're, you've never had anything, and I tell them that one of my sisters is murdered, they immediately listen to me. Immediately. Because they know that they have seen real violent crime in their families. They have the assumption that because I'm clean cut that I haven't when I walk in the room. But God wants to take your mess, and it really will become your message. But it has to be, it has to be understood that you... These aren't things you could avoid. If you get blindsided by an automobile accident and you now, people, you never realize people, some people have it and they're afraid, they're petrified to drive after that. I mean, true phobia. And it's real. And we need to be the agents of Christ to come along and help them break free of those things because if they don't, they actually will stay in the house and actually go mad. And people will have nervous breakdowns. Those are real. But these things you can't really avoid. Some of you have been, I know some of your stories. I know a number of you have had some of these things. 
deep sadness, deep tragedy, deep pain, losses, and things that I've never experienced. My experiences are not the same as your experience. You've had things that no one else in this room can relate to, but God can relate to them. And so, but these are sources of what? After this happens, if you lose a spouse, which some in this room have, if you lose a child, you know, if you have a traumatic experience, these soldiers that come back from post-traumatic stress is real. They have night, they can't even sleep, some of them. And so we have been given a job by God to say, hey, if we would walk in the Lord and see victory, we can go help someone else. I, I use the illustration all the time. You fly on a plane, oxygen mask pops out. What are you supposed to do if you have kids? First thing you got to do, you got to put on yourself, then you can help them. At Calvary Chapel of Richmond, we will not be able to put the oxygen mask on other people until we first put it on ourselves. We're not going to be able to help other people with this list of seven until we say, Lord, we're going to deal with these things, and we're going to commit to doing these things because you'll give us your righteousness, then your joy, or then your peace, and then your joy. And then we have something to go share with other people. And it's not just words that say, oh, yeah, you can read it out of the Bible, but you don't experience it, you don't live it. Tragedy, sadness, defeat. You ever, been, you ever felt really defeated? I mean, you worked really hard and you were a total failure at something. Maybe you got fired for a job you thought you were doing good at. These things mortify people. And I don't look lightly at them. I mean, all across this room, there might be things that you can resonate with or uh, that you would put in some of these buckets. Now, what happens with these things is they become triggers... In life, you see other things, and your mind flashes back to these areas, and it starts to, it's like a flood. It actually starts to connect to other things, and you become more and more paralyzed by things that were not the original problem. Does that make sense? They spread. Fear will spread. If you have a phobia, it can spread. If you have an area of depression, it can spread to other areas. If you have an area of anxiety, it'll spread to other things. And all of these things, they originally may not have been in any way your fault or my fault. They are things that God allowed to land in our lap. And now we're trying to pick up the pieces from them, right? Think about the apostles. When Jesus died, they couldn't do anything to prevent it. That's why they were so sad afterwards. They needed God to rebuild them. So if these things happen to us, we need to be built back up so we're not dominated by the past. Next one, number eight. Satanic attacks. This is real. Um, Peter was told directly by Jesus, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. There's no mincing word. Jesus says, Satan is about to launch a full-on attack on you. Paul said he was buffeted. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he said, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. You know, God will actually let Satan buffet us so we stay humble and reliant on the Lord. Um, sadly, you know as well as I do, a lot of ministries have collapsed because pastors have gone off the deep end and fell into sin and done all kinds of stuff. It'd be better to be buffeted by Satan and keep fighting battles than do what David mistakenly did. He took and chilled out for a while and fell into sin. 
But Satan, but da- Satan also de- uh, attacked David many times in his life too, and he writes about it. Job was actually living righteously, and Satan actually came to the throne of God and said, let me at him. If I rip his life apart, he'll curse you, and, right? God will at times say, all right, take a shot at so-and-so. Take a shot at so-and-so. I'll protect them. But you have to know when, when and you can look in your life and say, I don't have any unconfessed sin. I'm spending time with the Lord. I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm ministering to people. I'm asking God for help constantly, and I still feel this wave of maybe depression or fear, anxiety. You may be under a satanic attack. You may have, Paul writes to Timothy about it. Timothy loved the Lord, and he was a pastor, but he was being hit with a spirit of fear. And Paul wrote, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Would you agree with me that Timothy was called? Was he living in sin? No. According to Paul, Paul Paul had nothing but good things to say, but he was actually shrinking back because he was afraid of the people and he was afraid of the job. And you might get afraid of something or sad about something or whatever it may be, and it really could be if you're walking with the Lord, understand that there may be satanic attacks. And when you have those, you're going to need other people to come and lay hands on you and be there with you to drive it out. But we'll talk about, too, when, what you've got to do when no one else is around to help you because there are also is safety nets that God has given us for those things, too. So satanic attacks are real. Uh, it's one of the lists. Now, the problem is there are many ministries in America that blame everything on a satanic attack. That's not healthy spiritually because... Most of this list is not a satanic attack. We don't see near as many Job, Paul, Peter stories in the Bible as we do people being stiff-necked, and it's their own fault. Make sense? There's not near as many of the Job stories in the Bible. Most of the stories in the Bible, not, not number seven, everyone experiences these times of distress, pain, loss, all those things. Everyone experiences that stuff. But I'm saying the satanic attacks... The devil made me do it is, is not the norm, but it does happen, and we have to be aware of it. And it does happen. Our, our church, if we want to be a bright light, we are going to have some satanic attacks. I hate to say it, but that's the reality. But it won't be most of those things. It'll be some things. Um, the next one, there's 10. Next one is no... Define purpose, goals, or objectives. This is a real problem uh, in our country with people, uh, but it's also a problem in the church as well. And what do I mean by this? Uh, There's either no order to a life, there's just too much free time, way too much free time in some people's lives. They have unplanned time. They have no real schedule to their life, no real schedule at all to their life. And, and this is not what we see in Scripture. God has got a very specific order, and he wants us to develop an order and a pattern to our life. Now, some of you do this great, I'm sure, and some of you, uh, this may be something that God speaks to you. I don't, I don't know how you spend your day. I know how I spend my day, but I'm not with all of you guys. I have no idea what you do with your time. But I know this. God's, here, here's how God's order works. Six days shall a man work, the seventh day rest. Does that sound orderly enough? Do you know it still hasn't changed? He still says this is a rule 
uh, to live by. Six days you work, and generally in America, this is a good rule of thumb because five days you try and kind of work to making a paycheck. You need one day to actually cut the grass, do the honeydew list, go get the groceries, whatever, and find a day to actually rest. It's still a good thing. But you've got to plan your day. Uh, God still today has 24 hours in a day, same as it was 3,000 years ago, same as it was 6,000 years ago. 24 hours in a day. Lunar cycles, still 28 days. Solar cycles, still 365 days. Do you notice that God has a definitive pattern to things? And he did that. The 12 tribes of Israel couldn't be 13, had to be 12. How many disciples did he pick? 12. Right? He does these things, and there's this order to what he does. 40 years in the wilderness. We see an order to the things of God and in Proverbs 16.9, Solomon writes, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We are to plan our way. We are to prayerfully say, God, here's how I'm going to plan my day. And God will then redirect as he sees fit, helping you perfect it. In Proverbs 31, many of you ladies have probably read many times the Proverbs 31 woman. If you read verses uh, 13 through 20, we're not time tonight. Watch how she plans out everything. She goes and buys a field. She calculates its cost. Uh, she extends her hand to the staff. She actually has this detailed plan, and it's good and healthy for to put a plan because when you have just an aimlessness, the enemy starts to bring in things like depression, just kind of bewilderment. Very important. Now, the last one is the opposite. This might speak to some of you as well. Fixated on personal control. You ever heard of control freaks? Some of you might say, hey, I resemble that statement. This is the person who has no flexibility. And spiritually speaking, they don't even make room for the spirit to alter their plans. You have to be willing to have the Holy Spirit alter plan. This is the perfectionist mentality. Person that actually cannot even, they start getting anxious because one tiny bit of the bed is unruffled. Or someone came in and sat down and moved the pillow just a tiny bit. Their house is a showroom. I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying that this, you will, you'll be dominated because this has to be, just like the other person can't have no order, the person with complete control, perfectionist mentality, this is a source of anxiety for people. People get anxious because all of a sudden there's a light, little crumb on the floor. You'd have gone nuts when I had, I had 21 family members in my house uh, the night before Memorial Day. Our house was just like a bomb went off or something. Um, but God wants us to have some balance in this. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, blessed are the flexible. Blessed are the flexible. Still want to have order, still want to be detailed, still want to plan and prepare, but let God give you a little flexibility. Romans 8, 14, Paul writes, for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. If you're led by the Spirit, you're either son and daughter of God. If you're a son and daughter, you know that in a parent-child relationship, guess whose plan takes precedence? The parent. Kid can't say, well, I don't think uh, 
we don't, I didn't really plan on going to church. I planned on riding my skateboard all day. Parent says, your plan is not really going to happen. You're coming anyway. And God does that in our life. He says, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're making a plan. I'm glad you're ordering your day well. But I'm going to let you get a flat tire so you can witness to the mechanic. It doesn't always, we, we don't like when he changes our plans at times, right? You ever had to stay home from work because all of a sudden something blew up or something? And you, but ask God, say, what are you trying to do? You've allowed it on a, for a reason. Or otherwise, you can just spin up into anxious, just mess in no time at all. We don't control anything. God controls everything. We make our plans, Proverbs 16, 9, but the Lord directs the steps. Can't have no goals, objectives, no purpose, but we can't be micromanaging every aspect of life. And micromanagers, they want to micromanage everyone's life, so now they carry everybody's stress on top of it all. So these are the sources. Why don't we do this? I plan on going from 7 to 9. Are you guys okay with that? Why don't we take a bathroom break? We'll stop here, and we want to look at the solutions. Do you want to look at solutions? That's the sources. We want to look at the solution. So why don't you take, why don't you take uh, five minutes? It could end up being seven, but you know what I mean. Take five to seven minutes, and we'll come back in, and we'll finish up by nine. If that was five minutes, but it was close. It was close. It was close to five. I'm doing this for you. I don't want you all to be stuck here. I want us to. I don't know if we'll cover all this, but I. All right, solutions. Now, in one sense, we know there's only one solution. Who is the solution? Jesus. But as you know, there's a lot of words in this Bible, right? We're in the book of Proverbs. It is only Jesus, but one of the reasons why Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse the Bible, is the Bible says we need the whole counsel of God. Because life is not just one little circumstance. It's many, many, many things, right? In a single day, you ever look back at the end of the day and see how many things you did in one day, how different they might have all been? Just, and it could be grocery store, picking up the kids, your work, something went wrong at work, email you got, text you got. I mean, you just look back and you say, wow. It, you ever look at the end of the week and you think seven days felt like 300 days? Like, how do we do all that in the last week? Well, the whole counsel of God is needed to address these things because God gives us a whole lot of scripture because even though Jesus is the source, he will direct you to certain aspects of scripture for certain situations in life. Make sense? Those of you who have a toolbox, sometimes it's going to be a screwdriver. Sometimes it's a hammer. Sometimes it's going to be, uh, I don't know, some Phillips head or you know, whatever it is. He's going to have different things. But at the end of the day, it's the same toolbox. We only have one toolbox. Everything is in this toolbox. Jesus is the rock. He is the centrality of everything that we do. And that's why everything starts with him first. But after we have that relationship with him, he wants to start to give us wisdom in how do we do these things. So when I say solutions, plural, this is uh, some things we want to implement in our life. Um, I remember I was listening to Karen Johnson 
and she's the pastor of one of the Calvary Child Pastors on the West Coast. And she was talking about she was dominated for 12 years. with She was agoraphobic. She was afraid to leave her house. And she had experienced her first panic attack, and that's why I was listening to her. Her first, her first panic attack was when she, she had her whole life been an incredibly confident person, could speak in front of anybody. She had done theater. She had done plays. She had done musicals. She stood up to speak in front of 300 ladies, and she had a panic attack, and she'd never recovered for 12 years from it. Well, what happens is you might be rolling along in life and being a really confident person, and a tidal wave can hit you in life, and you kind of never recover until you meet Jesus. And then he says, not only can I take the sin out of your life, but I can take the depression out of your life. I can take the anxiety out of your life. I can take the fear out of your life. I can take the despair out of your life. The sin is the first thing we need dealt with, but it's not the only thing. Amen? Again, Timothy was a strong man of the Lord, but was all of a sudden attacked by a spirit of fear. And again, I have experienced spirit of fear, and it's not fun. You might have anxiety. You might be anxious. You ever... You ever had days when you're anxious and you have no idea why? You just wake up anxious. And you have no idea. You go try to listen. I'm like, well, that got done. That got done. That got... Why am I anxious? It's something you actually feel as you get a little older in life. I don't think, uh, but uh, we see more and more. I actually are seeing more and more young people with these symptoms. Matter of fact, I've had um, a lot of adults tell me, I have high school kids dealing with this. And, um, you know, I know that when I was in high school, we had a girl in our school that became anorexic, and which is, by the way, a good definition of fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Do you know what Jesus said more times in the Gospels? Any other phrase he said? Fear not. Why? Because fear is the backdrop of all these things. We're anxious because we think it won't work out a certain way. We get, uh, remember we talked about anxiety and depression are linked according to Proverbs. They're actually linked together. They can, either one can facilitate the other. But we need the Lord Jesus first and foremost, and we need that relationship with him. We need his loving arm around us. But then he's going to have us not just live just sitting like a monk on top of a monastery on some on top of the Swiss Alps, just praying and talking to God, we still then, he's going to now send us out, and we've got to live these things out. So that's where we need these solutions that we're talking about, because you guys still got to go to work tomorrow. You still got to work with your kids. You still got to love your spouse. You still got to reach out to a prodigal in your family. You still got things to do, and you need to know, all right, Lord, how do I handle these things? What are the things that I can start to walk in? And put into practice. We know the sources. Those 10 sources I gave you, even though it's not an exhaustive list, I think almost anything else you can think of connects to one of those 10. You can think of other things. I'm guaranteed they're not disconnected to that 10. They're all connected. Because at the end of the day, it's just our will, our either submit or surrender or not, and then the things that we can't control that come against us. And really, even the first four could all be categorized sin, busyness, all the you know, self-reliant, that could all be categorized. I broke it up a little bit just so we could uh, bite it off a little bit and help us digest it, if you will. 
So let's take a look at the solutions. I have, and I'm going to read through them, and I hope that they'll be helpful to you. I have a list of 28 things. Now, nobody can follow a list of 28 things. Everything in the 28 things is not necessarily for everyone. So I, I distilled it down to say these seven things are the most important things. Jesus wrote a letter to how many churches? Seven churches. It's something to say to each of them. And these seven are the most important. They go back to the list of ten. All of us, we have things that we just need to confess. I don't know about you. I pray and confess things in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. My girls can tell you, no matter how many times I pray over them, I say, Lord, forgive us for sins we're not even aware we did. Any of you pray that? You've actually done some sins today that you're not aware of. But the Holy Spirit would say, well, you actually did. It could be just a wrong motive. Now, we're covered by the grace of God for those things anyway. So you're not, you know, I talk about salvation on Sunday. You're not going to hell because you committed a sin and you died the next minute. You're covered by grace. But at the same time, for the working and the power of the Holy Spirit and to be delivered from a spirit of depression or anxiety or fear, you need the overflow of the Spirit flowing through you. And so when we are conscious of sin and we won't repent of it and we won't ask for forgiveness of it and we just kind of dust it under the carpet, then God says, you're still going to be struggling then. You're still going to have deep anxiety. You're still He's going to let you be uncomfortable until... You change your ways. How many of you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? He thought he had the world on a string. God let him lose his mind, literally lose his mind. You think about you know, a panic attack or a nervous breakdown. Nebuchadnezzar totally lost his mind, and he crawled on the ground for seven years as a wild animal. His fingernails grew out. When he was done, when God says, all right, now do you know who's in charge? Now do you know who gave you all that you have? He ended up actually worshiping the true and living God. Now, to some extent, God does that with us. It could be seven hours in your life. It could be seven days. It could be seven months. I hope it's not seven years in our lives. I hope we respond to the chasing Lord where he says, hey, I'm letting you be uncomfortable on a reason. I'm waking you up in the middle of the night to get your attention. Because I can't see that you're too busy during the day. God started doing that with me at times. I would be so busy, he'd wake me up at like 3 in the morning and say, I, you're not finding time to talk to me, so I'm, you and I are going to talk. I actually own the night too. So he'd just wake me up. It got my attention, so I started making sure that I was talking to him throughout the day. But repent. And then you might not be in deep, grotesque sin. And some people are. But we need to confess, and it might be just, again, you might have a problem with gossip. You just keep gossiping about people. God says, that has to stop or you are going to continue to be a bundle of nerves. Can't, can't be gossiping. You might say, well, I just, it's just a little slander. I like to sl- throw it in there to make the story extra good. <laughs> God will say, no, that's got to stop. It ends now. I'm not able to pray for so-and-so. God says, you better start praying for them. I don't really like you. You pray for them anyway because your peace depends on it. Isn't that good to know? I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore in my life. You can, but I won't. Because it's not worth it. 
I'd rather be in a right relationship with Jesus, walking, praying and reading. You know, this, not everyone can do the exact same time, but all of us have more time than we say we do. Let me read this from uh, Pastor Lewis Neely. He's um, right about 80 years of age, pastor of Warehouse Ministries in Sacramento, California. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. He's now been ministering and pastoring for 53 years. Later this summer, we're going to show you a message from him. If you come next Wednesday, you're going to see a powerful message from Jim Simbler that he gave the East Coast Pastors Conference this coming Wednesday. Not Sunday, but Wednesday. I want you to see it. I think every church should hear what he has to say. I want our church to hear what he has to say. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Some of you may be familiar with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He's the pastor there. Well, him and Lewis Neely and Raul Reese, I want to play each of their messages sometime this summer. So once a month, uh, we'll stage them. But the first one will be Jim, and then we'll show Pastor Neely's message. But this is one thing that he said that is so true. This is a message he preached, 16 sermons on prayer. How many think prayer is incredibly important in your life? Jesus made the time to pray. And this is what he said. He said, someone told me the other day they simply don't have time to pray. This was in his message. Ten minutes later, they were giving me a detailed account of the last five football games. I don't have time. I will tell you something, folks. Life will create circumstances where football won't do it for you. Our diversions won't help. Television won't solve the problems. Movies won't solve the problems. Our fun and games and all the things we pursue won't mean a thing. And the wonderful thing is that Scripture says, we have a Father who abradeth us not. That's a Father who doesn't scold us. He's saying, look, God will get you to the place that all of the diversions you, kind of, you finally realize. You know, I, make, I, I you know, joke about it, but a Netflix binge doesn't solve Monday's problems. They're still there. And you finally say, you know what? God, I'm just going to start praying more, get it on my knees. Literally, get on, literally, if you can. And some of you can't get on your knees anymore. That's, get on your knees in your mind. That's, that's fine. God knows you where your heart is. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm just, as I, I talked about last Sunday, we need to kneel at the cross, run to the empty tomb, and wait for the Holy Spirit. But that takes some time. Jesus got up really, really early to do that. Um, but I tell people to start with something. Start with five, five serious minutes. Work up to seven serious minutes. And work up to eight. Work up to ten. And to the place where you can look back and say, wow, I now have a solid devotional life where I'm really waiting on the Lord. And don't just kind of, you know, Cheerios are going in, milk's falling in your Bible, read a couple and just walk out. There's no power in that. We need power in our life. We need power in our life. Satan's very powerful. He will rip you to shreds all day long unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to get rid of the sin, that, whatever it may be. Um, if there's things that God's convicting us of, we need to say, all right, Lord, I'll do what you say. Get prayed over. Sometimes this, this takes some humility to come to the pastors and elders, whether this church or if you attend another church or whatever, uh, and say, can you just pray over me? I'm really struggling in this area, especially when you've done one and two already. Don't do number three unless you've done one and two. First, go to God yourself, and God says, I want you to go get prayed over. We'll, we'll literally anoint you with oil and pray over you because we're not here to look down and say, wow, I thought you were a lot better than that. 
That's not what, <laughs> that's for God to decide. We're just here to love people and that you would grow because I don't want to see any of you with anxiety. Sure, I want you to be able to tell your neighbor, God delivered me and he'll deliver you too and mean it. And when they see it in your eyes, that's not what, <laughs> that's for God to decide. We're just here to love people and that you would grow because I don't want to see any of you with anxiety. Sure, I want you to be able to tell your neighbor, God delivered me and he'll deliver you too and mean it. And when they see it in your eyes, they'll know when you mean it. But if you don't really mean it, they'll be like, yeah, so you worship really good. You have a good time. But by Monday, you're the same as me. You're the same bundle of a wreck as I am. And you still may be soundly saved, but God wants to take you to the promised land of the fulfilled life. So repent, pray and read. Get prayed over if you need to. Start to meditate on God's word. Uh, I talked about Psalm 91. Um, for whatever reason, God is in his goodness. Uh, since I had my neck surgery seven years ago, I couldn't run. And then all of a sudden, I, start, I, I would walk all the time. I'd walk, and it, in my pride and my flesh, it bothered me that I was walking when guys my age were running. Because oh, naturally, I got pride just like you do. And that didn't, that didn't sit well with me. God made me for seven years not be able to run. Finally, when I was okay with it, he said, now you can run. So lately, I've been running. And I'm up to like three miles, and I only run, the only reason I run is to pray and talk to God the whole time. I couldn't care less what anyone thinks, hey, you, that's, that's all you do a mile in. I, I don't care about what they think. I don't care that I don't, will never look like I was 22 again. None of that stuff. I don't care about body fat count or any of that stuff. I said, I'm just running to be training for future multiple services, to be training for mission trip, to be healthy for my kids and grandkids. That's it. And if I overtrain, God would let me get sick or something. Because then, you ever, had, you ever seen people that their workouts are their idol? And then on the back of the car comes 13.1, then the other side comes 26.2. Impressive. Don't feel bad if you have that on your car. I'm, not, I'm, simp I'm simply saying to be careful that our motives are right. So for me, running is a good place for me to meditate on God's word. Before, I could never do that. I could either run or meditate, but I couldn't do them together. Now I can, and God just flipped that switch. And he does that because now I don't have the time to do both, so he's given me an overlap to say, I do want you to exercise because I've got things I want you to do in the future. And number two, I want you to meditate, so I'm going to actually consolidate those times for you. Next one. Now, I actually take, take some time on my knees to pray aside from that, but that's just an additive. That's why I put meditation is separate. Med you can meditate anytime. You can be riding on your way to work and just keep chewing on one verse and let it strengthen you. Unlike gum that actually loses its flavor, the verse won't. It'll actually get stronger. It'll taste more like mint by the time you get done with it than when it started with. The next one, worship. Now, some of you love to do this anyway, but some of you don't. There's a lot of people that I meet that just, they never sing to God. Go read the Psalms and just start circling all the time where it says sing, sing, sing. 
in the new kingdom, when the thousand-year reign comes, there's, God has put in the temple, there will be singers. Because we will be singing for all eternity. So start practicing now. And if you don't have a good voice, it doesn't matter. You're by yourself. Get a little headset. Start worshiping. Not just the shower, other places too. Number six. And number six will only work when you're walking truly with Jesus. But when you're walking with Jesus, you actually will be able to rebuke the enemy and you'll actually feel him flee. I've had fears that have come on out of nowhere. And I can feel them coming. And immediately I just say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord rebuke you. Satan, get out of here. Fears, get out of here. Fatigue, get out of here. Enemy, get out of here. I got a job to do. And I literally can feel strength well up. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. You don't go around rebuking things. Remember the two guys in Acts that tried to rebuke the demons? They got tore up. Why? Because they were in their flesh. If you hear people shouting down Satan and stuff like that, and you see them, you know how they live during the week. You know they have zero power. They're just a paper tiger. You never see me rebuking Satan from the pulpit or anything. This is in my personal life. When you see people flaunting this, it's nothing but a pride show. You're rebuking the enemy. Hardly anyone should ever even see it because it should be, be you just attacks coming on your mind. You're all by yourself, and you know you're right with God, and you say, in the name of Jesus, get out of this car right now. And you'll actually see God bring deliverance. You say, well, I can't do that yet. Well, you've got to do the first five. You've got to do the other stuff. And you'll start to see that kind of power in your life. Lastly, there's no substitute for this either. You've got to go serve. You've got to help other people. You cannot receive from God without giving out. You've got to find a service. You've got to start. It doesn't matter if it's child care, you know, children's ministry, being on the worship team, greeting people, directing cars, uh, going and visit nursing homes. and uh, A lot of things that could be done outside of there's so many things that could be done. And this isn't about busyness. This is about making sure you're using the gifts and talents you've given for the Lord. Because if we don't serve, Jesus came not to seek, not just seek and save, but he came to serve, didn't he? He served his whole life. And that was the, that was the, um, uh, that was the example that he gave us. And so these things are transformative. Believe it or not, no, even though no, psychiatrists would ever give you this list unless they're a Christian. There are some Christian psychiatrists, but n- most anyone you go to, you just look on the phone book or you know, online and you say, hey, I'm going to go. I see what a local shrink would say. This would not be their list. They would give you some kind of test and test your thought process and everything else and say, you know, a good drug for that. That doesn't help. God wants to live. Asa should have gone to the priest first. He went to the physicians first. If you want to go to a physician, go to the great physician. And then if he still sends you, if you've got some issue that really is medically related, God will make that clear to you. He'll make it clear. I'm not here to you know, put down that there's not other means, but that's not where we start. That's not what this workshop is about. It's starting with the things that God's given us. Now, I'm going to read off, and if you want to write them down, we've got about 15 minutes I've got a list of 28 things. Some of them are practical. and Just the practical things are very valuable if we've implemented the spiritual. Would we all agree? 
Um, it's, it's many things that we do in our life are practical, and they do have benefit. You remember Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. He didn't say it was zero value. He didn't say it was zero value. He said it profits a little, but it would profit nothing if we had not the spiritual first. But it does have a little bit of value. And don't overlook little bits of value. God even says, despise not the day of small things. So small things, all the small things add up to big things. So the little things do matter, but they, a lot of times people, all they focus on those little things, and so they've never dealt with the heart issue, and therefore they never see victory. So number one, which is not number one, I, I don't have a one on it, but resolve to seek first the kingdom of God. Just keep reminding yourself, Lord, am I seeking you first and everything else? Because then all these other things will sound reasonable. Well, they are reasonable. Jesus has purchased us. We've been bought with a price. Seek first the kingdom and he'll align everything else. We talked about confessing our sins, number two. Number three, commit to a life dependent on prayer. Number four, commit to studying and meditating on the word of God, which I have on there. Ask God... Number five here on my list, uh, and I consolidate it, but if you're just following the list here, number five I have, ask God and walk in faith to incorporate prayer and word throughout your life all day long. So again, just it, what you start in your devotional time becomes the attitude of your heart. George Mueller used to open up, if you have a Bible at work or something like that, George Mueller used to open up and just glance down at it all throughout the day because it would keep him centered on God. That's why he had such incredible faith. He one of the greatest men of faith that the world's ever seen. Um, we talked about worshiping song. This one is uh, number seven on my list, and again, it doesn't match up with this because I had to consolidate the 28 to the most important. But if you're taking notes, how about you can just put them in bullet form instead of numbering, just maybe bullet form. Truly believe that apart from Christ and his spirit, we are nothing. Start reminding ourselves that. Truly believe that apart from the Lord and the Holy Spirit, we are nothing, and begin living that way. That makes sense? Truly believe that apart from God, you're nothing. Many people will have false humility, like, oh, I don't really have, but really they think quite highly of themselves. They'll act like they don't. But the reality is we have to really believe that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. This is a really good one. Next one. No longer pretend to be more spiritual than we really are. Stop pretending to be more spiritual than we really are. It's a great hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Stop pretending to be more spiritual than we actually are. Now, you don't go around and tell people, on a spiritual scale of 10 to 1 to 10, I'm a 5. You don't have to say any number. Just act who God has made you. Don't put on spirit. People put on spiritual airs. It's okay if somebody says, how are you doing? Just say, you know... Praise the Lord, I'm doing well, but it's, it's been a tough week. But don't wear all your feelings on your sleeve. Get, ask God to give you the balance on that. You don't want to be a wet blanket in every situation. But you don't want to be acting like you are this most perfect spiritual being when we're really not. Number, well, I'm not even going to give a number, just bullet points. Next one, confess weaknesses and what you're battling with to a few mature believers. This could be a pastor and elders. This could be other mature women. 
If you're a lady, it could be other mature men. Confess weaknesses and what you're battling with to a few mature people. Be real and be honest. Let people pray over you. The next one's related to this. This one actually is, is even more. Have pastors or elders pray over you and anoint you with oil to break specific chains. By the way, we have our anointing people with oil cannot break chains if they haven't done the things and if they haven't dealt with God in their heart. There's no power in the Apostle Paul praying over someone who hasn't repented of sin. You could have Peter, Paul, and John all surround you, and if the person has not repented of sin, they are, they're not committed to reading their Bible, they're not committed to pray, they're not going to sing the Lord, they're going to act spiritual anyway. Ananias and Sapphira are a good example of this, right? Peter said, um, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. So we, we as pastors and elders, we have no power to... But if the person really said, man, I've gotten... I have gotten on my face before the Lord, and I want to see victory now, then that prayer will actually have power. The anointing will have power. But it's incumbent upon us first to do business with God. Number, uh, number 11, or the next bullet point, ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a refreshing of the Holy Spirit with laying on hands. Many people have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've never asked for it. Uh, I could add to this, if you've never been water baptized, once you have things right, Get water baptized. It's one of the first commandments God says. You can't say, well, I'll put it off for another five years. It's got to happen. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, God wants to give you more of his spirit, a refreshing of his spirit. Even if you've received the baptism, you want a refreshing. Uh, the next one's really important, too. Go face your fears and areas of despair knowing God is with you. God says he'll go through you with, go with you through the fire, through the waters, He'll go with you. Now, one thing that's helpful when you are going to places that maybe are difficult for you, maybe places that were past defeat, maybe places that make you afraid, maybe places that make you anxious, when possible, when you're starting this journey to say, hey, Lord, I'm going to do these things, um, maybe you're petrified to go to the Bonaire uh, Youth Correctional Facility for whatever reason. Let's just give an example. Have someone go with you. Go with someone. Jesus sent them out what? Two by two. Why? Because a lot of times we need someone to lean on. True? So if you say, man, I, I want to go do such and so, but I'm just afraid. They ask, hey, will you go with me the first time? Find someone that's mature enough to say, yeah, I'll go with you. Or loves you enough to say, I'll, I'll, I'll do that with you. Or, hey, um, I haven't been back to so-and-so where my relative died in years because I think it'll bring back the memory. Will you go with me? Find someone, and these are practical things. God's given us a family for a reason. Here's a good one. Practice smiling, thanking God regularly, and thanking other people regularly. The more gratitude we're filled with, the enemy doesn't have a foothold. God loves to bless people that are full of gratitude. Because then if Satan starts picking you on you, God says, no, 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 not this one. They're full of gratitude. They're always thanking me. They're always thanking other people. They're putting a smile on them to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Practice it. Practice smiling, thanking God regularly, and thanking other people. And here's another one. Start serving people and ask God to slowly grow you, not only in the service, but in the joy of it. Now, that goes back to... Uh, number seven, anyway, was in the list. Start serving people. Got to serve. 
He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. That's what scriptures say. Got to start serving other people. Oh, and it can be through means of things. Um, you know, some of you have done tasks around here, and, and, they're, and they're good. They, they take your mind off yourself, and they put your mind on other people. Uh, here's another one. Start giving to God financially. Uh, our resistance in this area can be a barrier to breakthroughs in our life. We, we can't be tight-fisted with our time, our talent, or our treasure. So God says you've got to start giving. Uh, it can be a barrier to real breakthroughs in your life. I didn't say you had to start you know, tithing. I mean, we, we talked about first fruit giving in Proverbs, uh, but the bottom line is, say, Lord, what do, what do you want me to start with? How do you want me to start giving to the work of the ministry, the work of people being saved, the work of discipleship, uh, the work of a local church, mission field, you name it. But start giving at some level. Now, next one, have someone or a couple believers that you can trust to text, email, and ask for prayer when you need it. You might just all of a sudden have a wave of sadness, a wave of fear, and you're trying to pray your way through it, and you just you, you know that so-and-so will get that text, and they will respond back, God is with you, I'm praying for you right now. Or pick up the phone. You have to have people in your life. That's why you have to be in fellowship here and build relationships uh, so you can have that. You know, it's our responsibility to try and reach back to you, but, but it goes both ways. We have to build those relationships so you can have people you can genuinely do this with. Um, here's another one. Start exercising and make exercise about being fit to serve Christ, to serve your kids, your grandkids, ministry. Try and make the time of exercise a fellowship with God. Maybe you want to exercise with another Christian brother or sister in fellowship. I mean, but just make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, not to be on the front of Muscle and Fit magazine, which is far too late for me anyway, so most, many of you as well, right? So we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? But uh, we want it to be for the right reasons, that we're just, uh, we just have more energy to serve the Lord. Stop over-exercising. Studies have shown it actually causes depression. Did you know that? These people that worship their bodies, God makes it reverse for them. Plenty of say over-exercising causes depression. No exercise is really bad for depression, but over-exercise. God is a God of balance. Everything is for a reason. We don't eat just for pleasure, although it can have some pleasure. We eat for sustenance. But if you ate only for sustenance and never pleasure, if you ate only for pleasure and never for sustenance, you can see how those can get really out of whack. It's the same way with these practical things. Don't overexercise. Walking's a really good place to start because you can just walk, you can look at creation, you can talk to God. And some of you that you can't walk or anything anymore, you've got to find other ways to, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, just move around the house or... Um, and there's a time where God's grace covers that people can't do it. You're wheelchair bound. There's people that can't do that. And so, but you cross those bridges when you get to them. Until you're, that's not the case. These are good things for our overall well-being. Here's one. If you're married, but you're not in harmony with your spouse, related to genuine love, no prayer unity, no communication, or or really poor communication, fellowship and relationship is not where it should be, 
you're in disunity with parenting, disunity with finances, or there's a real breakdown in physical intimacy, all these things are red flags in a marriage, and you need to pray, be prayed over, and get it right ASAP. And that's all I'll say on that, (laughs) because uh, if there's disunity there, it's going to cause a lot of stress and anxiety, and God wants those things to be made right. Next one. If harboring bitterness, anger, resentment towards someone or someone you've hurt or wronged, go and make it right. Jesus said, leave your offering at the altar until you go and make things right with your brother. Then your prayers will be heard. God says, then your prayers will be heard. Because we can't have the power of the Holy Spirit. We still have a wedge that either we've created or we're allowing um, to be this root of bitterness or harboring. Here's one that Ladies uh, are able to do a whole lot easier than men. <laughs> if you really need to cry, find a place to go do it. Um, Paul said sometimes he, he exhorted with tears, you know, because Jesus, he wept over certain things. Um, you know, it might be good, I wouldn't say might, it is good that if God you know, touched your heart on something as a man, you know, he has shed a tear every now and then for lost people or for a prodigal or for a situation, but, you know, um, maybe God's dealing with you on something and you say, I'm I'm, going to hold it in. No, you might want to find a place to let God just comfort you. Now, afterwards, pray and worship the Lord. Pray and worship the Lord. Now, this isn't, I'm not saying walk around being a bundle of emotions. That's not the point. That's why I said, go find a place to be alone. Um, You know, for men, this is a very rare thing in life. It really is. Uh, I, you know, I, I come from a house with a lot of sisters, and I've got three daughters, and uh, women seem to find no problem with this at times. <laughs> but uh, men generally hate it uh, with everything within them. Um, but yet God wants us, he, he wants us to release pain at times. just does. I don't know why, but that's the way it works. Find and make time for the mind and body to rest. This goes back to... He maketh me to lie down. You really have to find time. Six days shall a man work, the seventh day rest. You've got to say, Lord, I'm going to make time to rest. And some of that rest means go to bed on time. That's not a that's a daily thing. Turn off the electronics. That your mind is still thinking. If you've been on the TV and smartphone and iPad and all this stuff, and your mind is still thinking into the early morning hours because it's still wired. And people don't get deep, restful sleep. Have a genuine day of rest. You know, many of you, if you can, you should make Sundays your rest day. I'm not telling you, you know, that it has to be that way. If you, man, my best day off is Wednesday, that's fine. But for most people, if you can make Sunday your rest, come and be, be filled with the worship, be filled with the word, and then take the day and just rest. I, you know, not everyone has to be on the Bonaire team. If, and if they are, they need to find a way to offset those two days of the month and and rest somewhere else, but for the most part, find time to rest. You know, it's okay to take a nap on Saturday afternoon. It's okay to, and it's a good thing to read a book for just enjoyment. It is. Next one, start to eat healthy food and ask God's help and say no to foods that only satisfy cravings. Because a lot of the food, these are practical things. These, This in and of itself would not solve problems, but when we're doing the spiritual things first, they are additive. They are helpful. 
to eat healthier food, you'll have more energy, your mind will not be, you know, have some of the bad chemical reactions that really are uh, in a lot of the things that uh, we crave. So, ask, but ask for God's help. Say, God, help me to stay no to these things and just your cravings. We crave a lot of things that aren't good for us. And like I said, that's just some of their time as well. Uh, take time to fast from foods and or, or in addition to, also fast from habits that are just time wasters in our life. Take time to fast from food. Our, our Guatemala team is fasting tomorrow, so I'm going to be gorging when I get home tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, our Guatemala team is fasting tomorrow, and the reason why we're fasting is we, we believe, we honestly, deep in our depths believe that we'll see stronger breakthroughs when we're in Guatemala and more fruit if we simply fast before we go. I don't always love fasting. It doesn't bother me near as much now as when I first started it, but many times my flesh, just like anyone else, doesn't really feel like it, but we don't live by feelings. We live by faith. So fast over some things. Say, Lord, I want to fast over some of these things that are dominating my mind. And there's only four left, and then we're done. This is a good one, too. Find and make time to intentionally laugh. Laugh some more and be glad. The Bible says that it does good like medicine. It really does. The more you intentionally take time to laugh, and make sure it's good, clean fun. Unfortunately, a lot of things today that are made to make us laugh are full of curse words and all kinds of other garbage. It really is hard to find a decent comedy these days. Am I right or what? Every time we'll go to rent a movie, it's like, we have to go like 800 movies down to find something. But, you know, maybe you find the old standbys, go back to things that you are good and clean and make you laugh or play a game with the family. It's good to make sure that we're laughing because it really releases positive endorphins that drive out bad kind of just energy and negativity and all the things in our life that uh, the enemy, he doesn't want us to laugh or smile. Or if he does, he wants it to be over things that are wrong and and not good. Last three. I need to get more practical. Take off. This is a really, really important one. It's a very important, I think, to everyone in this room, especially if you still work for a living and you're not retired. Take off certain hats you normally wear. You can't take off the parenting hat, parents. Sorry, that one has to stay on. Take off certain hats that you normally wear. Work some different physical muscles and some different Mental thoughts, different exercise and energy. It really is true. We need to take time and smell the flowers. Literally and metaphorically. It's a good thing if you have a yard to actually go out there and just pick weeds. Just pick weeds. Go out there and plant some flowers. Get the earth that God created in your hands a little bit. Go do something that is not a spreadsheet if you live on spreadsheets. It's not grading papers if you grade papers. It's not looking at medical charts if you look at medical charts. It's not wiping noses if you wipe noses. Whatever it is, you just say, I'm going to go do for this time. But is that a benefit when you do it and say, God, speak to me spiritual things while I'm doing this? Why do you think Jesus talked about agriculture constantly? He said, look at the fields over here. Look at the birds over here. Look at the flowers over here. He always was pointing to these things. He, he got all of his illustrations that way. So when I've had to cut out a dead part of a bush, 
God's reminded me that he prunes dead parts out of my life, dead parts out of the church. And when the bush came back strong, he says, that's what I do in you. That's what I do in the church. So take off hats. I love to teach and study God's word, but I have to have a break from it because it is also my job. And, and I have to say, when I go cut the grass now, I love it. The hum of the mower, I talk to God, I smell the grass. You know, just take off, really take the hat off. Say, all right, all the week, I am a claims adjuster. I am not right now. It's good for you. Let God just kind of let those other things come in. Take a walk with your spouse and just say, smell the honeysuckles right now, or just things like that. It's good to take off these hats. Otherwise, you're always in work mode. You can't, and that's why people go to bed dreaming about spreadsheets and stuff like that. They can never take, and it's bad today. The enemy has turned up the fire when it started with blackberries in the early 2000s. Because Satan says, I, want, I don't want you ever unplugged from anything. If I want you plugged into it all, I want you plugged into ESPN and your job and your kid, and I mean, I want you plugged into every, you, every outlet plugged in. Satan wants you plugged into all of them. God says, now I want you to unplug a bunch of them. Take those hats off. This is a, a, a good one uh, that you can do at work. Listen to classical music. Well, just put some headphones, and, and you can work and just, there's something about harps and stringed instruments and stuff like that. They're mentioned in the Bible. Uh, I, I do that when I'll, I'll study. I put on classical music, just play in the background. You don't have to do that. You can put worship music on and stuff like that. But sometimes no words, what's good about no words is the no words aren't influencing what you're trying to get done work-wise or thinking through. So classical music, it's shown to it actually lowers people's blood pressure. It actually calms uh, uh, Saul when he was uptight. He would have David come play the harp. He didn't say come play the drums. That actually fires you up. Wait, there's a time for that too. But... Yeah, there's a time to dance, and there's a time to actually just you know, be calm. Lastly, don't read helpful books about fear, despair, anxiety, and things like that when you're feeling that way. There's a good time to read those books. The best time to read those books is in preparation. You're actually walking strong. Read them then. When you read them in the time that you're going through those things, a lot of times they can actually Anyone ever experienced this? They actually, if you're reading them thinking that you're, the only book to go to when you're feeling bad is the Bible. Now, you might say, well, I don't know about that. Hey, you, you're free to try other things. I read the other books in preparation when my spirit is nice and calm. If I want to read about panic attacks or anxiety, I don't read them when I'm having those things. I read the Bible. Make sense? But those other books are still good. This book from, from Steve Mays, Overwhelmed by God, I don't generally read this when I'm feeling overwhelmed. I go to the Bible when I'm feeling overwhelmed. A good time for me to read this is other times, and I get a lot of solid stuff for it for like moments like this, or you want to share something with your kids, or you want to help a family member. Does that make sense? So know that when you're having anxiety, stress, fear, go only to the Bible. This is supernatural. This is really good stuff. Know the difference. This is direct. This is like a lightning bolt from heaven. This is a snapshot picture of a lightning bolt from heaven. 
There's a big difference. You see the difference? Good books are still good books, but they're not the actual lightning bolt. This is the real thing. And so that's the last on the list of practical things. That's all I could do in tonight, and that's what the Lord put on my heart. I hope that it was, was this any way beneficial? And if you're lying, the Lord knows, you know, so. I hope it was helpful to you. I've tried to be as real and transparent as I can to let you know that, hey, all of us deal with these things. Trust me. People that you think don't, pray for them. They've got their own things that, you know, and, and they need. God wants to give us power. Go back. Don't forget in Romans chapter 14. Righteousness first, then peace, then joy. Righteousness first, then peace, then joy. That's why all the lists start with righteousness first. Can you tell that? Righteousness is first. Then get to peace. Then get to joy. When that happens, you'll actually have truly something to share with a lost and dying world. But uh, I want us to put the oxygen mask on first here. And tonight won't solve anything. I mean, it'll solve something. It won't solve everything. You say, well, next week I still go back to these things. Start to study them. Start to really implement them. Say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Help me keep that which I've committed. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we, we know that apart from you we can do nothing. We know, Lord, that we're inclined to sin. We're inclined to our own selfish tendencies. We're inclined to try and be self-reliant. We're inclined to do things on our own. Lord, we're inclined to fear why you said fear not so often. We're inclined to be anxious because we can't control things. We're inclined, Lord, as our bodies age, Lord, to be upset. We're inclined, Lord, to when we've seen darkness in our life or death in the family, Lord, to, to remain in despair and depression. And Lord, we want to be set free of these things. And so, Jesus, we just come to you as needy as we can possibly to be and say, Please forgive us. Please help us. Please fill us afresh and anew. Lord, I pray that you would uh, take what has been shared tonight from your word, and Lord, that you would sow the seeds far deeper than I ever could, and that each person in here would start to find that living water that comes with, Lord, just surrendering to your righteousness, surrendering to your will, and Lord, that everyone in this room would experience new measures of peace, new measures of joy. If anyone here doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, they would do that. If anyone needs to be baptized, they would do that. If they need laid on their hands, they would do that. But, Lord, not until first each of us have done the things you've asked us to do personally and vertically with you. And Lord, we know that you desire that we would receive the peace that surpasses all understanding. And we know that you desire to break every chain. And, Lord, right now we ask that you would rebuke the enemy on our behalf. Is any anyone under spiritual attack? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.